This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. The Capital One Venture X business card earns unlimited double miles on every purchase. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash VentureXBusiness. Hi, everyone. Maddie Safaya here. Earlier this year, we had an episode about the deadly trifecta of COVID-19, opioids, and racism. And since then, the opioid-related death toll has only risen. From September 2019 to September 2020, synthetic opioid deaths rose by more than 50 percent. So with this news, we wanted to reshare that earlier episode with ProPublica reporter Dua Aldeeb. All right, here's the show. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. In 2017, the governor of Illinois implemented a plan to halt the explosive growth of opioid deaths in the state. The plan was to cut those deaths by at least a third by the end of 2020. 2020 was going to be this turning point for Illinois. Dua Aldib is a reporter with ProPublica. They started to see a decrease in opioid overdose deaths. And so they were really kind of making progress across the state. And they were really hopeful. But early last year, Dua got a tip that the number of opioid-related deaths might actually be on the rise in the region. So she and her colleague, Melissa Sanchez, started investigating. They analyzed death records from the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office, and what they found was alarming. We found that opioid overdoses surged in Cook County and specifically in Chicago, and that those overdoses were disproportionately killing Black residents. I think by the summer, we had seen about 1,100 residents who had died of suspected or confirmed opioid overdoses, um, which is about double the number from the year before. Drug overdose deaths are on the rise all around the country. This was a nationwide problem that we were seeing kind of start to rise before the pandemic and then just continue as the pandemic ravaged our communities. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess... Dua, this is the obvious question for me here, is whether we have a sense of how much of this increase can be tied to the coronavirus pandemic. So COVID didn't cause the spike, but like everything else that made it worse, the financial stress, the isolation, uh, the desperation, all of that seems to be really exacerbating things. And then, you know, when we talk about isolation. With opioid use, one of the things that they say is, you know, if you're going to use, use with someone else so that then they can administer naloxone, the opioid overdose reversal drug. But, you know, people were not using with, you know, others. So today on the show, we take a closer look at Chicago, how the coronavirus pandemic has exacerbated the opioid epidemic there and what kind of challenges public health officials are up against. I'm Maddie Safaya, and you're listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Breast cancer cells multiply faster because of CDK4-6 proteins. But what if blocking those proteins and stopping runaway cell division was possible? 
Dana-Farber scientists laid the foundation for CDK4-6 inhibitors, new drugs that are increasing the survival rate for many advanced breast cancers. Dana-Farber's momentum of discovery keeps finding new ways to outmaneuver cancer. More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Okay, Dua, let's start in Cook County, the county where Chicago is located and where your reporting is focused. Walk me through what you found there last year while you were reporting on the opioid deaths. We found a devastating surge in the number of opioid overdoses in Cook County and Chicago, and even more specifically on the West Side. Mm -hmm. And it was disproportionately killing Black residents there. The West Side has been a community that has grappled with opioid overdoses for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But what we saw last year was the number of deaths was almost doubling. And half of the total deaths in Cook County were Black people, even though Black residents only make up less than 25% of the county's population. Wow, wow. And I mean, I think that's a really important point because we are really talking about three simultaneous intertwined public health crises, right? Opioids, the coronavirus, and racism and systemic oppression, all disproportionately impacting Black people. And that's what's so heartbreaking and devastating about this. You know, when we talk to, you know, some of the people, some of the families, what we were hearing was some of them lost loved ones to opioids. They lost loved ones to COVID. They lost Mm -hmm. loved ones to just, you know, structural racism. And the reason that the West Side in particular has been struggling with opioid overdoses for so long is just because if you look at that community, just decades of disinvestment. So unemployment is really high. Uh, The median household income is really low. So poverty, you know, concentrated poverty. So it's like, it's been hit so many times. And it's exactly like you said, this was kind of this, this trifecta of opioids, COVID and racism. Yeah, and that that brings me to something I want to talk about, which is naloxone, this drug that can reverse opioid overdoses. How big of a role does it play in combating this crisis? Like, how effective is it in saving lives? So everybody that we've talked to talks about just what a lifesaver naloxone is. I mean, this is a game changer. But the problem is there's simply not enough of it and especially not in the communities that need it most. So, you know, one of the people that we were talking to, uh, he was a lawmaker on the West Side, who was saying that there are people who are using opioids who don't even know that it exists. Um, So there's a real push now to increase awareness and increase supply. And you're seeing that at the, the state level, you're seeing it with hospitals, clinics, and providers they're all being encouraged to give out as much naloxone as possible because it's so critical um, and it can save people's lives. Got it. Got it. Okay, so let's talk about how treatment looks in the time of COVID. I I have to imagine that's changed quite a bit. So in terms of treatment, I think one of the things that we saw early on is that people were scared to go to hospitals Mm -hmm. and hospitals were not seeing as many overdoses coming in. And there's still some of that. 
But the message from the hospitals has been, you know, come, we're safe. And if you come to us, you're really increasing your likelihood of living. Yeah. And so there's been a, a real push to kind of increase 911 calls, increase visits to hospitals so that then they can get the naloxone that they need. Yeah, yeah. And is there a role for for telemedicine now? And I, I know not everybody has access to, you know, like a smartphone that they could do telemedicine, but is that is that is that playing a role as well now? It is. And um, what we're hearing is that doctors and providers for a long time had been pushing for more telehealth, but they're running into barriers. I think a lot of it had to do with reimbursement. But now with COVID, uh, those barriers have been relaxed a little bit and they're able to reach more people. But again, you're right. It comes down to who has access and who has the resources to call on telehealth. Right, right. You know, I, I've read quite a bit about opioid use disorder treatment strategies, and it, it does feel like some of the treatments directly contradict strategies meant to prevent the spread of COVID-19, right? So, so that's a huge difficulty. It's a huge difficulty. And, um, you know, we, we heard more than once, Zoom treatment isn't the same as being in person and, and feeling that support and being with mm-hmm. others. So I think that's something that that people are really struggling right now with. Um, before they would do intensive outpatient where a person would go in like they were going into work from like, you know, 830 to five. And now they've moved that to all online. And it's better than, than nothing. But I think it comes with its own challenges. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking about is uh, needle exchange programs. Has, has there been an impact on, on that and whether or not that's possible? At the beginning, especially of the pandemic, you know, people were really struggling with just financial resources and, and keeping uh, the lights on. And so some of those programs had to scale back. I know in Chicago, um, they've been able to get back on the street with their needle exchange programs and their mobile van units. But Funding overall is still a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, you know, obviously this is a tremendous burden on an already overburdened community, especially right now. I mean, does the city of Chicago or or state public health experts have a plan on how to move forward here? They have a plan, and I think it's continually being updated because, you know, the numbers just keep getting worse. Overall, they're working on the Laxone distribution. Uh, they're working on getting more funding. Uh, they're working on treatment. Um, but I think when you have so many competing epidemics, one is going to overshadow the other. And early on, we heard concerns that one of the reasons it was getting so bad is so much of the focus had shifted to the pandemic, to COVID. So there's been, you know, kind of a struggle to kind of get that attention back to uh, opioids. It's just so hard when you have so many devastating, fatal uh, epidemics happening at once. Yeah, yeah. So you've done a lot of reporting on this, you know, are there solutions out there? I mean, are are they feasible at this time? Maybe not even in, at the state level in Illinois, but but nationally. Like, do you see programs or, or anything that give you hope as you're reporting on this? So there are people much smarter than me who have, you know, tried to take this on. And 
what I'm hearing from them, and I, I hate to keep going back to naloxone, but what I'm hearing from them is naloxone and mm-hmm. increasing the supply and getting that out as, as much as possible because this is, you know, kind of the, the first step. It is a life-saving drug. But then you move into kind of, you know, step two and step three, which is treatment and, and how do you prevent it from getting to that point where it is life or death. Um, and so there's different harm reduction strategies, methadone and buprenorphine and medicaid-assisted treatment that seem to be showing um, promise. And I think the other piece of this is really stigma. Uh, you know, unfortunately, when you look in places like uh, Chicago, where there's such a racial component, that's only exacerbated. Um, and so I think reducing mm-hmm. that stigma and making it more easy to access care and access treatment the same way that someone would access care and treatment for you know, diabetes or heart disease, I think that will also help in the long run. Yeah, yeah. And I have to imagine you're also kind of left with this feeling of a lot of that feeling like treating the symptoms, right? When in when in reality that what we're looking at here might be, you know, really deep systemic changes and and deeply entrenched health inequities. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of the feeling that I I've, I've gotten from it. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the West Side is such a great case in point. I mean, if that community had had more investment, if there's more jobs, if there are more, um, you know, opportunities, if there, you know, health care, access to primary care physicians, I mean, all of that, you know, if you can fix those deeply ingrained issues in that community, I think we would say a huge difference in opioid use. Okay, Duav, I really appreciate your reporting and I appreciate your time. Thank you for for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This show was produced by Britt Hansen, edited by Giselle Grayson, and fact-checked by Rasha Aridi. I'm Maddie Sofia. Thanks for listening to Shortwave from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. E-commerce logistics making you question why you started your business? Time to outsource fulfillment to the experts over at ShipBob. Get a free quote at shipbob.com. ShipBob. Dune Part 2 is this year's first big movie. It's an epic space opera that delivers plenty of spaceships and big explosions, like any good sci-fi blockbuster should, but it also tackles themes of rebellion, religion, and the use and abuse of political power. That's a lot to chew on, so listen to NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast.